This is Richard Ellis Talks with founding pastor of Reunion Church in the heart of downtown Dallas, Richard Ellis. This is a place for encouragement and hope as Richard challenges us to continue to grow in Jesus. And all month long, he's focused on holiday themes as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas. Now, if you're not able to stay with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up on the 25 Talks of Christmas Advent Calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. Every talk can be listened to whenever you're ready on your own time at richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is The Night Before Christmas. And I'd like to take a minute to read this little rendition of that. "'Twas the night before Christmas and Santa's a wreck. How to live in a world that's politically correct. His workers no longer would answer to elves vertically challenged, they were calling themselves. And labor conditions at the North Pole were alleged by the Union to stifle the soul. Four reindeer had vanished without much propriety, released to the wilds by the Humane Society. And equal employment had made it quite clear that Santa had better not just use reindeer. So Dancer and Donner, Comet and Cupid were replaced with four pigs, and you know that looks stupid. The runners had been removed from his sleigh, the ruts were termed dangerous by the EPA, and people had started to call for the cops when they heard sled noises on their rooftops. Secondhand smoke from his pipe had his workers quite frightened, his fur-trimmed red suit was called unenlightened. And to show you the strangest of life's ebbs and flows, Rudolph was suing over unauthorized use of his nose and had gone to Geraldo in front of the nation demanding millions in overdue compensation. So half of the reindeer were gone, and his wife, who suddenly said she'd had enough of this life, joined a self-help group packed and left in a whiz, demanding from now on her title was Ms. And as for the gifts, why, he'd never had a notion that making a choice could cause so much commotion. Nothing of leather, nothing of fur, which meant nothing for him, nothing for her. Nothing that might be construed to pollute, nothing to aim, nothing to shoot, nothing that clamored or made lots of noise, nothing for just girls or just for the boys, nothing that claimed to be gender-specific, nothing that's warlike or non-Pacific, no candy or sweets, they were bad for the tooth, nothing that seemed to embellish a truth, and fairy tales, while not yet forbidden, were like Ken and Barbie, better off hidden, for they raised the hackles of those psychological who claimed the only good gift was one ecological. No baseball, no football, someone could get hurt besides playing sports exposes kids to dirt. Dolls were said to be sexist and should be passe, and Nintendo would rot your entire brain away, so Santa just stood there, disheveled, perplexed. He just could not figure out what to do next. He tried to be merry, tried to be gay, but you got to be careful with that word today. His sack was quite empty, limp to the ground, nothing fully acceptable was to be found. Something special was needed, a gift that he might give to all without angering the left or the right, a gift that would satisfy with no indecision each group of people, every religion, every ethnicity, every hue, everyone, everywhere, even you. So here's that gift, it's priced beyond worth. May you and your loved ones enjoy peace on earth. So there's your new version of the night before Christmas. Now let me jump in maybe pretty seriously, pretty fast. Has there ever been a time, have you ever lived through such a night of despair, a period of pain that you wished you had never even been born? Where it got so bad 
and you cried so long, you asked God for something so long, silence, nothing happened, and you just finally just given up, despaired, and it's so bad, you just say, you know what, my life is so screwed up, such a wreck, it'd have been better if I had just never been born. Now, I'd like you to go over to Job chapter 3. As great a rap as Job gets, if you read chapter 1, chapter 2, you see chapter 1, the thing starts out just calamity, catastrophe. He loses everything he owns, livestock, the camels, all of that. Then in one fell swoop, a storm comes, knocks his house down, all of his kids were there for a party, kills all of his children. He's left with nothing but his wife, and then he gets physically sick, boils from his head to his toe. In chapter 1, I think 21, he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. It all sounds great, but in chapter 3, it's coming. And the reality of the pain, and though he's not saying, his wife said, curse God and, you know, die, just get out. You'd be better off if you're dead, look at you. And now he's starting to feel some of these things. And I want to read through the whole of chapter 3, And I want you to try to empathize, sympathize, whatever applies to you with what he is saying. Chapter 3, Job, verse 1. And after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. May the day be darkness. May God above not see it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day. Those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light but have none. And not see the dawning of the day. Because it did not. Why is he so angry with the day that he was born? Verse 10. Because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb. Nor hide sorrow from my eyes. And why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver? Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? He's saying, I'd have been better if I had not been born, if I had just been stillborn, if I had been a miscarriage, whatever he lists here. It would have been better if I hadn't even seen this life. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and greater there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Who long for death, but it does not come. Who search for it more than hidden treasures. Who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Now let me go back to verse 20 and listen to this. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul? 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? It's this thought of God. What are you doing up there? What are you thinking? You gave me life. Children are aborted. Children never make it before they're born. After they're born, they die. And here I've made it, and you've blessed me so much. And then all hell's broken loose. What are you thinking up there? 
For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. For a lot of people, Christmas is hell on wheels. Husband dead, a wife dead, mom, dad. Talk to people who are divorced, blended families, kids, who's got them this year? And we're supposed to be happy and celebrate when really life just sucks. Joseph Seaman Cotter Jr. said this, I am so tired and weary, so tired of endless fight, so weary of waiting the dawn and finding endless night. Another statement I found, from time to time, life as a leader can look hopeless. To help you, consider a man who lived through this. Failed in business at the age of 31. Defeated for the legislature at 32. Again failed in business at 34. His sweetheart died at 35. Had a nervous breakdown at 36. Defeated in election at 38. Defeated for Congress at 43. Defeated for Congress at 46. Defeated for Congress at 48. Defeated for the Senate at 55. Defeated for Vice President at 56. Defeated for the Senate at 58, elected president at age 60, Abraham Lincoln. And you say, well, God, I can't take it anymore. I'm a loser. My life sucks. I can't do this anymore. And from somewhere, some different place out of the silence comes, hold, stay, don't give up. Sarah Knowles Bolton said, be glad today. Tomorrow may bring tears Be brave today, the darkest night will pass, and golden rays will usher in the dawn. We have all faced, maybe facing, or will face some dark times, some darker than others, but I love Psalm 30 that says, For his anger is but for a moment, verse 5, his favor is for life, weeping may endure for a night, but joy, but joy comes in the morning. Ralph Waldo Emerson For each thorn there's a rosebud, for each twilight a dawn, for each trial the strength to carry on, for each storm cloud a rainbow, for each shadow the sun, for each parting sweet memories when sorrow is done. Psalm 112.4 says, under the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. There's a period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, called the intertestamental period. And some have described it and called it the 400 silent years. And if you look in the Old Testament, there was prophecy, there was promise, there's the Messiah, they keep pointing to the Messiah. You can go look just multiple places, a virgin, Bethlehem, all these things saying Messiah was coming. The prophets prophesied, and then all of a sudden, At the end of a certain place, our Old Testament drops off at Malachi and then picks up again in Matthew, but you've got this period of 400 years in the middle. Let me go through some of what happened here. And in this time, not a peep from a prophet. Nothing. You say, well, I'm waiting for God to say something. I've been praying for five years or five minutes and God's not answered my prayer. What if you had to wait 400 years? And you tell your children, you say, trust God, hang in there, Messiah's coming, and you die and nothing. And so your kids say, well, Daddy said, Messiah's coming, hang in there, you die, nothing. 
over and over and over. You keep promising your kids, reading in the scripture, and nothing, not jack about Jesus anywhere. And you keep telling, you keep waiting, you say, well, he promised, he promised. My little seven-year-old, man, she will nail you. Daddy, will you take me to the park where the monkey, you know, this certain monkey bar, there's no other park going to do. And I promised her we'd go. We haven't had a chance to go yet. And she is relentless. You said. Somebody promised our kids a hundred bucks if they got report card with all A's on it. She's in first grade. She got a report card the other day, all A's, and she spoke the name. She said, call so-and-so. I got a hundred bucks coming. The guy was in my house the other day. She goes up boldly. I got A's, 100 bucks. So he's fumbling around, pulls out 40 or 60 and said, well, I'll have to give her the rest later. I don't have it all on me. You know what? Somebody said something. She's waiting. God said some stuff. Well, where is he? Don't just sit there. Don't just promise a bunch of stuff through all these prophets. Do something. And the frustration and the silence and wondering, will this ever happen? Should we just give up? He's not coming through the intertestamental period. Much of what happened during this time was predicted, by the way, in Daniel chapter 2, 7, 8, 11 in there, if you want to go read that. The last hundred years of the Old Testament, the first hundred years of the intertestamental period were relatively peaceful in Palestine under the rule of the Persian Empire. Then Alexander the Great comes to power, requires a Greek culture to be promoted in every land that he conquers. The Old Testament is translated into Greek, becoming the translation known, you may have heard of the Septuagint. All of this stuff happening, building, bringing about what it's going to take for Messiah to come. Around 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes overthrew the rightful line of the priesthood and desecrated the temple, defiling it with unclean animals and a pagan altar. Around 63 B.C., all of Judea comes under control of the Caesars. Eventually, Herod was made king of Judea by the Roman emperor in the Senate. And then an article I read describes it this way. Both Jews and pagans from other nations were becoming dissatisfied with religion. The pagans were beginning to question the validity of polytheism. Romans and Greeks were drawn from their mythologies toward Hebrew scriptures, now easily readable in Greek or Latin. The Jews, however, were despondent. Once again, they were conquered, oppressed, and polluted. Hope was running low. Faith was even lower. They were convinced that now the only thing that could save them in their faith was the appearance of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah was prophesied, but up to now, unfulfilled. For 400 years, many live and die, still no Messiah. For many, the 400 years turned out to be the night before Christmas. But what's 400 years? 2 Peter 3.8 says that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. From God's perspective, 400 years, it's like nine and a half hours. It's always darkest before the dawn. So if you're going to steal the neighbor's paper, that's the time to do it. What Henry Wadsworth Longfellow really said, the nearer the dawn, the darker the night. Now let me tell you something. I don't know what you're facing, I'm not ever even sure other than what I know from my own life. It can get really dark, but when the light shines, it's an amazing thing. Just when you think it will never happen, to quote an old Beatles song, here comes the sun. In this case, the sun is the S-O-N sun, Emmanuel, God with us, Messiah, Jesus the Christ. 
It may have been the night before Christmas, but light is about to shine in the darkness. Robert Alden said, there's not enough darkness in all the world to put out the light of even one small candle. Go to John chapter 1 in the New Testament. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word here, the Logos being Jesus All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was what? The light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, could not overtake it. You cannot overwhelm light with darkness. Light always wins. It was all foretold, and the silence was broken, and four are told. Mary, Joseph, Zechariah the father of John the Baptist, and Simeon. Go to Luke chapter 2. And I don't know which of the four, what was foretold. They were told personally. You know the story. Most people know Mary. The angel goes to Mary. Joseph's about to put her away privately. And then the angel says, no, don't be afraid. She's conceived a child of God. Zechariah had been told about John the Baptist, but in that built in was that he would be the forerunner of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. But here's a guy named Simeon, and look at Luke chapter 2, let's look at verse 21. And this is after Jesus is born. We're going to jump there, but look at what he is told before he's born. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Well, if that ever applied to a kid, it was this one. And to offer a sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting, look at this, 400 years. And here is a man, probably an older man at this point, and he has heard it, read it, and still believes He is waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And look at verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You work in the temple. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You've been waiting like generations of God's people for the Messiah to come. And one day the Holy Spirit comes and says, Before you die, Messiah, you will see Messiah before you die. Now, you talk about changing the way you go to the temple, and every baby boy you pick up, could this be the one? Could this be Messiah? And look what happens. So he came by the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and just like that somehow, Simeon says, this is it. This is the baby. And look what he says, and they're listening. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now I can die, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Light shining in the darkness. Samuel Rutherford said, I shall think it mercy to my soul if my faith shall outwatch all this winter night and not nod or slumber till my Lord's summer day dawn upon me. 
Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and following. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, but listen to the gist of this in this vein, in this category. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the same way there was darkness over the face of the deep in Genesis, in a physical sense, there is darkness over the face of the earth still. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God's commanded this light to shine out of darkness. And what is so astonishing and that you should never take for granted, the absolute revelation of God when someone who is dead to the things of God, who is dead for all intents and purposes already, it's just waiting for their body to die. They're just existing. And all of a sudden, the light comes on. And they're listening to a message, reading a book, talking to a friend. And all of a sudden, they go, oh my gosh, I can see. It makes sense. It's not just about Christmas and giving presents and trees and all these things. It's about Jesus. I get it. I see for the first time. And what an amazing thing that is, that experience to be blind. I once was blind, but now I see, I get it. And the more light you get, his word becomes a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And we say, God, give me the light that I need to see and know where to go, because you can't do it in the dark. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And here, Peter's talking about the prophecies and things that were said about Jesus and how they come to pass and that you can rely on these things. Second Peter 1 verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, in other words, to allow or listen to in your life, as a light that shines in a dark place. And by the way, this word dark means squalid or dirty, since dirty things are destitute of brightness. It's a dark, dirty place. Take heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Take heed. For that light to rise, that morning star to rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spoke, but all of a sudden for 400 years, nobody spoke, and it was like God had shut it down. And all of a sudden, here it comes. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said this, People are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out, but when the darkness sets in, their true beauty is revealed only if there is a light from within. The day turns to night in the crucifixion, but the night turns to day in the resurrection. And what I love about Matthew 28.1 simply says, now after the Sabbath, Jesus has been crucified and buried, and it says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to see the tomb. Jesus is even raised from the dead, 
before dawn. In Revelation twenty two sixteen, Jesus saying this, the last chapter of the Bible, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The night before Christmas dawns with the light of Christmas and the sun living, dying, and rising for us all. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. So many people like you tell us that Richard's unique way of boiling down God's truths and making his word clear and easy to apply to our daily life is what sets this program apart from everything else on your radio, helping to reach everyone together with God's good news. In fact, reaching everyone together is not only Pastor Richard's ministry mission, but it's also the mission that Jesus commands each believer when he gave us our marching orders in Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So that's what these daily talks are all about, to encourage and equip us to be a light of hope to others this Advent season. Now, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the daily Advent calendar at richardellistalks.com to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there on the homepage at richardellistalks.com. And while you're on the website, be sure to surf around for hundreds of other encouraging audio and video talks, tons of interesting blogs, or to submit a request on the prayer wall, or to follow us on social at Talk With Richard, and much more. It's all right there at richardellistalks.com, alongside the Daily Christmas Talks Advent Calendar. So as we wrap up, thank you for listening today, and thank you for praying for Richard. As we look forward to coming alongside you again for the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas on Richard Ellis Talks.